Welcome to episode 35 of Radio 815, the podcast dedicated to examining the work and the career of writer-director J.J. Abrams. I'm your host. My name is Marcelo Inostroza, joined as always by my fellow co-host, Matt Crandall. And on this edition of the show, we'll be talking about Lost, season one, episodes 23 through 25. So essentially, that is the last giant bit of season one. So the episodes that we'll be talking about today will be Exodus parts one, two, and three. So with all that being said and out of the way, Matt, what did you think of Exodus part one? So I really liked Exodus part one. It is written by the heavy hitters. Damon and Carlton wrote all of these final episodes directed by Jack Bender. And what I thought was awesome about this supersized, you know, finale that, that kicks off with Exodus part one is it's the first episode of lost that we get multiple people in the flashbacks in, in terms of not just like somebody crossing over with someone, but literally, you know, there's an entire flashback that's about Walt and Michael. There's an entire flashback that's about Jack, an entire flashback that's about Kate. So I thought that was cool that that this one decided to give us a little bit of everyone. And right off, very close to the beginning, we see Jack in the bar before getting on the flight. And a woman comes up to him and starts to flirt with him. And he buys her a drink. And it is Anna Lucia, played by Michelle Rodriguez, who at the time, it just seems like, oh, they got the lady from Fast and Furious and Resident Evil to make a small cameo, which, of course, we would know would develop into more much to the fans dismay. And that was interesting. I like that we see a, a lot of these characters right before they get on the plane to find out certain things that happened in these moments right before boarding. The island stuff is where the black smoke pillar has been lit and announces that the others are going to be coming. And Rousseau knows that 16 years ago, that was what happened before Alex got taken away from her. So it sort of sets her off and starts all of these crazy events into motion. I really love this episode because uh, right off the bat with this episode, it starts off with Walt and Michael in a hotel room. And if you guys listened last week, you know that I'm not a fan of Walt being a pain in the ass. Uh And when he turns on the TV and he starts watching Japanese Power Rangers, because that's what it is. Yeah. Um, and you know, and then and then that causes Michael to wake up and and basically chastise his kid. I really couldn't stand the fact that they had Walt play the role of a annoying kid that didn't um, respect his father. On that same note, I do understand Walt's uh, sort of hesitation to trust Michael because for all intents and purposes, Walt has been raised by Susan and Brian his entire life. So for him to be with somebody else at this point, I like the fact that the that Damon and Carlton chose to give Walt that sort of I don't trust you attitude, I don't like you attitude and and basically I don't give a crap what you're gonna say. 
So I really enjoyed that. Uh, I really enjoyed this opening to this episode. The other thing that I enjoyed, like you, Matt, I really liked the fact that we got to see a lot of our casties before they got on the plane. I, I especially liked that flashback where we see Sawyer being interviewed by the Australian police officer. And he mentions to Sawyer that when you were here last week and you bumped into my desk, you uh, basically effed up my uh, a cup with my kids' faces on it. Broke my mug. The thing that I like about that flashback is when I was first watching it, I thought that that flashback was a continuation of another earlier flashback that we saw in Boone's episode when Boone went to Australia initially to go get Shannon. That fury of mine was put to rest when the Australian police officer said that uh, it had been, you know, he uh, Sawyer had been there last week. I really love uh, that scene where Jin and Son finally get to bury the hatchet before Jin goes on the raft. And uh, I, I really like what he says to his wife. I just love that whole scene. I, 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 I really was hoping that they would reconcile before they got on the raft. And I was really happy to see that they did. Finally, I really enjoyed this episode, mostly because of the flashbacks. Oh, and if I could say one more thing, I am so happy that that Marshall guy is dead. Because, <laughs> because to be frank, when we first met him in the pilot, I, f I felt guilty for him. And I felt some sort of sympathy because I didn't know Kate Austin's complete backstory. But after the treatment that he gave Kate in a specific flashback in this episode, I'm happy that that guy's dead. So, <laughs> for, for I mean, when I was watching this episode, I was like Jack Nicholson. I was like, I'm glad you're dead. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that was one of my favorite part about these flashbacks is that that Kate flashback does basically justify the fact that the air marshal, you know, had a tough time because we see that he's needlessly cruel. He just loves to be a jerk, even when he didn't need to. And we see how much Tom and the plane meant to Kate because she gets so riled up in that flashback when the guy's like, that's why I need five guns. It's just like, screw you, buddy. Like, yeah, I'm glad you're dead. The Sawyer flashback that you mentioned you know, they reveal that his real name is James um, and he is going to be deported and not allowed to come back to Australia. So it's not like he chose to be on that plane. He was kind of forced into it. And then the other interesting thing is that Shannon and Boone flashback where Shannon reports Saeed to airport security for being some Arab guy who left a suspicious bag. And it's like, wow. Like, she's come a long way because now she's basically in love with Saeed after being this person who just would judge him based on the way he looked and report him to security. Um, so I thought that all of those flashback moments really added to show how far the characters have come over the course of the season and justify some of the actions that, that we've seen and just peel back the curtain into who they were and where they are now. And I like that in this episode, the island stuff, half of our people are getting ready f to go on the raft because they've got to get out there before monsoon season. And then the other half are going to go to find the Black Rock because they think that they can get 
explosives to blow open the hatch so that if the others come, they can hide in the hatch. I like that we've got, you know, basically the the A team and the B team, and they're both going to go off. My absolute favorite scene in not only this episode, but maybe like of of the season is in this episode. And I alluded to it when we talked about the first time where this could have happened. And it's as Sawyer is getting ready, knowing that he's going to go on the raft. And Jack basically says, hey, dude, uh, good luck. Catch you later. And Jack starts to walk away. And we can see that Sawyer is wrestling with the information that we know he has. And he says, Doc, hold up. And he's he tells him about being in Australia and what happened in the bar with his father. And at first you can see Jack's like, what is this story? But then as Sawyer starts to, to reveal more, you know, this guy's name is Christian. He wished he could pick up the phone and Fox is awesome in those moments. Just as it starts to dawn on him, what Sawyer is revealing Uh, Holloway is good because he doesn't overplay it and they could have gone like too far to Sawyer being a jerk or too far to like, this is uncharacteristic for Sawyer to, to warm up and, and let Jack have this nice moment. But they walked the line so perfect that literally this is like one of the only scenes, you know, mostly lost for the most part is like, uh, an action or like a great show. But like, I literally was wiping away tears after this scene. Cause it's just so well done. Um, and because they laid the groundwork for it a few weeks ago in the episodes and don't pay that off right away, we've known that this information is going to come out, but then when it does, uh, just a, a brilliant scene. I can't believe you, Matt, you stole my point. Um, like you, I loved that scene where Sawyer finally comes clean that he had that conversation with Christian in the bar. And the thing that I like about it is that Jack, like you said, initially doesn't really understand what Sawyer is getting to here. But once he, once he says, I spoke with this guy named Christian, you you see uh, Matthew Fox turn away and start crying. And I thought that was just a wonderful, wonderful scene. The other thing that this episode really does is it really defines the smoke monster in this episode and i really like the part where Locke, jack uh russo they're on they're basically on their way to the black rock and all of a sudden arts comes uh running through the woods and you know that causes uh a part of the group to to hide under some trees and Russo basically goes, uh, the smoke monster is a defense mechanism. And I think it's Kate or I, 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 I can't remember who it is either. If it was Kate or Charlie who, who said a defense mechanism for what? And mm-hmm. they go for the island. And I'm like, and I was like, what? For what? That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> right. So I really, so I really felt that in this episode, particularly Damon and Carlton leaned into the mystery as to what the island was, and they really played up the mysticism of the island in this episode. Yeah, they really did. And yeah, finally revealing what the monster is in terms of, 
it's a security system and it's the first time we really see black smoke moving the way it, it does. They were answering some of those questions that people have had since episode one, but still leaving a lot of mystery and more questions like why would the island need a defense mechanism and a defense against what was protecting what was was interesting that it's like, OK, we're going to give you guys some answers, but we're going to make it so that you have more questions as a result. And that's typical Lost in the best way. Like, I love when Lost does that. They give you an answer, but that answer opens the door to more questions. And I did like that Arts joins them and I him and Hurley when they're walking and he's like, what's your name? Arts? And he's like, no, Arzd. And Hurley's like, Arts? And he's like, Arzd. He's like, ninth graders can get this. How come you can't get it? And he's like, well, what's your first name? And he's like, well, no, my first name is, he's like, oh, I know what it is from the manifest. It's Leslie. He's like, just call me Arst. <laughs> and it's like, okay. Uh, so I thought that whole exchange was really funny. Uh, and then, of course, as this episode comes to a close, the raft sets sail. And as the raft sets sail, we cut back to the people in the jungle. And Russo says they've arrived at the Black Rock. And instead of seeing a giant black rock, the camera pans over and it's a friggin' pirate ship. It uh, looks like, you know, One-Eyed Willie's treasure could be on this thing. Um, and that was kind of cool and unexpected, especially because it's in the dead middle of the jungle. Like, how the heck did this ship get here? Um you know, it's like an old slave ship in the middle of the jungle. Uh, so that just, of course, is cool, but also raises more questions like, what? What is this doing here? Um, so I thought that was an awesome end to the start of this finale to have, you know, finally the rafties go off and it's a big triumphant moment. And then it's a huge what the hell moment at the Black Rock. Uh, I have to concur with my co host, Crandall, there because when we finally see what the hell the black rock is i go what the frack is this and like you said man how the how the hell did this ship get so deep into the jungle you know who put it there and why and you know i just thought uh this episode was really really wonderful so with that being said and over with uh we move on to exodus part two so what do you think of that one matt so Again, like the momentum from Exodus Part 1 really carries over. I really liked that basically last episode we saw a Sun and Jin scene in a flashback from Sun's point of view. And in this one, we get the same start of that scene right at the beginning. But we go and we follow Jin's point of view. And we find out that while he was taking a leak at the airport, his father-in-law had sent a goon to threaten him and say, if you do what I think you're about to do, you're going to be in a world of hurt. So you better just stick to the plan with this watch and come rushing back because otherwise you're going to lose the thing that you care about the most, which again, just adds more to those episodes where, there was that conflict with the watch and Jin and Michael um, and brings that stuff into a finer focus. So I liked that that is where we pick up current day action begins with a bang as 
they bring the dynamite out of the black rock and ours in typical overconfident douchebag fashion starts explaining the dangers of dynamite and he's wrapping it up and he's like, guys, like this is so dangerous. You need an expert and I'm an expert and you know, this stuff could explode in any, and, uh, it's just like the scene in Jaws where the shark explodes and there's so much debris and guts and pieces of art rain down on Jack, Kate, and Locke. And uh, so unexpected, but yet so hilarious because this guy's given this big speech about how he's the only one who knows the dangers and he friggin' blows up. Um, so I love moments like that in movies and shows. It's very much like the... Sam Jackson speech in Deep Blue Sea where like, you know, I'm better than you and I know all this stuff. And then out of nowhere, bam, idiot gets killed. Uh, so I love that. The build up to arts going tick, tick, boom, uh, I thought was wonderful because, you know, since Leslie's been introduced, he's kind of a of a of a son of a bitch. Um, <laughs> he he comments on Hurley's weight. He insults Kate when he asked her for, for her to give up her t-shirt. There's one point in this episode uh, when he basically says that the island has clicks, right? Yeah. And he un- and he understands, you know, what clicks are all about because he's a high school science teacher. Uh, I will admit that the first time I saw this episode, I was not expecting that. And that gave me so much joy when I originally saw it and when I saw it uh, today. I, I rewound that scene <laughs> like four or five times today just to see that guy blow up because I really uh, enjoyed that. Also, I really like the writing device that Carlton and Damon used. Like you mentioned, they put in scenes in this episode that we saw previously, but in this episode we see them from another angle. And I love the scene in the bathroom with Jin, which you already talked about a little bit. But the thing that I like about that is that Jin doesn't actually threaten that guy or attack that guy. And I really, I really thought like the first time that I met Jin uh, in the earlier episodes this season, I thought that he was a violent, miserable man. Mm. And as we've, gone through the first season of Lost here, I sort of come to really appreciate him a lot more because I I appreciate that he is a victim of circumstance. He's a victim of circumstance in the extent that he fell in love with someone who was above his station. And because he fell in love with this specific person, he had to become something that he didn't really approve of. And I was also curious about what was so important about this watch that he was supposed to uh, take to America, basically. We never really get any any sort of resolution as to what this watch is about. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed this episode because of the art, Tick, Tick, Boom thing, and the, um, the Jin and Sun storyline, and also... I really felt really sad for them when they were eating in the in the airport cafeteria and this couple sitting a couple seats away from Jin and Sun started talking about them and started talking about them in a disparaging manner so to speak mm-hmm. and 
they thought it was okay because they thought that Jin and Sun couldn't understand English. But I really, I really liked when uh, the the director of this episode, Jack Bender, just for a split second, he sort of focused in on Sun's face. In that one quick snippet, you really saw, you know, how hard she was over what this couple was saying about her and uh, Jin, basically. So the the thing that really sold this episode for me was the Jin and Sun uh, back, uh, flashback storyline. Yeah, I thought that was really good. And, you know, this these final two episodes aired as one block. They are now on streaming as like two separate episodes. So it's tough for me to figure out where one episode ended and one, one began. So as we go on in the next, you know, couple of minutes, if we're doing a little bit of overlap, then forgive me. But I loved Russo shows up. She needs to talk to Saeed. So while Charlie goes to get Saeed, she's left alone with Claire and the baby. And then we find out that Russo knocks Claire down, steals the baby. Um, so now Saeed and Charlie have to go after her. This, it gives Charlie something to do. But also the whole time they're going after Russo to get this baby back because she's taken him for a reason that we're still not sure and in that moment claire's like get aaron back so she finally names the child in this moment of trauma because up until then he was still turnip head and charlie and saeed go and there's a moment where charlie's basically winded because he's not in great shape compared to saeed saeed's like well let's hold on we'll take a break and they stop at that plane and Saeed tells him oh yeah this is the plane where boone died and uh oh yeah it's nothing it's just full of heroin and charlie's like uh, say what? Say what? And he looks down and there's one of those shattered Virgin Mary statues full of heroin. And it was just like, oh no, this is the last thing we need is for Charlie to be tempted by this again. Like he's done so well to overcome his demons and they've planted those seeds of doubt in those moments. So it was like, ah, shoot, please don't. Um, but also in that whole sequence, I know that they wanted to give Charlie something to do and to get him into the forest to see that heroine. Like if I was Saeed, I'd just be like, dude, you're slowing me down and time is of the essence because at every turn, like Charlie is just not as good as Saeed in terms of tracking going to be you know, a showdown to get the baby back. Charlie's not going to be as good as Saeed. So it was like, okay, like if I was Saeed, I would just be like, let's get a move on here, man. Uh, if if you can't catch up, I'll just meet you. The thing that I liked about that sequence when, when Saeed and Charlie were running in the forest after Russo, I really think that Charlie chose to go with Saeed as a point of pride because Charlie promises, I'm going to get your child back. Even though he's not physically fit, even though that he shouldn't be there, I felt that after he made that promise to Claire, he had to be there. And, uh, when he actually uh, falls for one of uh, Russo's traps and gets uh, cut on the forehead pretty severely, mm-hmm. I thought that that scene where Saeed basically uh, closes his wound shut with gunpowder was pretty badass. I really, really enjoyed that particular sequence. Yeah, that was great because it again showed Saeed's resourcefulness. The raft has launched. The team is on the raft and we see them kind of bored on the raft. We see what happens when there is a moment where the rudder breaks off and Sawyer 
dives into the water to to fix the raft to get this piece before it sinks and in that moment michael discovers that sawyer has a gun in his clothes and he kind of gives him a look like dude what the hell is is this about but he doesn't you know mention it in front of uh walt and Jin because he doesn't want to sort of stir anything up but it's a reminder that they they may need this and there may be some sort of danger. They've mentioned that they only have a single flare. So every hour when they turn on their sonar and try and send a signal, they've got to be mindful of using that flare at the right time. And also when we are, you know, dealing with Russo, we find out that Russo said that the others we're going to go after the boy, which in that moment where finally Saeed and Charlie catch up to her and get Aaron back, she says, I thought that they would be here. I thought I could trade Aaron for my kid because the others were saying they were going to go after the boy, but they're not here. And obviously they don't care about this baby because I thought I could use it as leverage. I love that that happens a few minutes before the realization of what that actually means dawns on us because it was such a nice swerve. The thing that I love about that is that, like you said, when she says, I thought they were, they were going to be here, they wanted the boy or the child. You know, you know, the first time I watched uh, this episode, I really didn't catch that. I had to wait until the very end of this episode to understand that they were after, that they were after Walt for some reason. And I, I thought that that was a brilliant uh, choice by Damon and Carlton. That was a nice little curveball that they threw in there um, for us to sort of munch on in this uh, in this second part of sort of the, the, the season finale of Lost Season 1. The one thing that I'm sort of sad about is that because Saeed and Charlie had to run after Russo and they and they basically came upon the plane. I really feel sad that Charlie's problems, so to speak, sort of cost him his relationship with uh, Claire because his battle with addiction eventually causes Claire to sort of question their relationship and, and, and their relationship really doesn't get back on track until something unfortunate happens to Charlie. So I was really taken aback by that particular storyline in this episode but the ending to this episode was just bonkers and it was nuts right so as we ramp up to the ending the dynamite team does have a big encounter with the smoke monster and we do see all of that and we find out that um Jack trying to protect Kate gives her a dummy backpack instead of letting her carry the dynamite and Locke gets dragged by the smoke monster and almost pulled down a hole as he's getting pulled down. Jack's trying to save him and he says, just let it take me. And Jack won't let that happen. Throw some dynamite down and Locke is let go. And Jack is like, why on earth would you want it to take you? Why would you let it take you down this deep pit? And Locke says, well, I think it's my destiny and the island was testing me and I would have been fine. And Jack says, but you don't like that doesn't make any sense. And Locke says, look, Jack, I, I get it. You know, you're a man of science. I'm a man of faith. Like we're we got two different viewpoints here and it's not something that we're going to be 
easily able to reconcile with each other because that is two very opposing viewpoints. So that was a nice, you know, setup to this theme that's going to continue through much of Lost is that Jack and Locke, even though they are well-intentioned, have very different viewpoints that are hard to merge together. So the dynamite team goes and they start laying the dynamite at the hatch. And I love the moment where they're setting up the fuses and Hurley sees the numbers on the hatch. And he goes, oh my God, like, no, 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 no. Don't light it. Stop it. Of course, in that moment, Locke is like, hell no, and friggin' lights the thing. They do blow the hatch open in those final moments. We we are unsure what's going to be in there. And they look down the hatch, and it is deep. And there is a broken ladder. And that's kind of where we leave those guys for the end of the season. We don't see what is in the hatch. We just know that, you know, Locke and Jack... They blew the hatch open, even as Hurley was screaming, please don't do it, um, because the numbers are bad. Do you think that the numbers are actually bad, or do you think that Hurley is feeling some sort of Catholic guilt, and that is causing weird shit to happen to him? That's one of those things that's been up for debate kind of throughout, since we found out about the numbers at all. It's that thing where Hurley thinks that they are cursed and wishes that they were cursed because it helps explain all the bad stuff. And everybody else keeps saying, like, it's just numbers, dude. (laughs) Like, it's just numbers. Just a couple more things that I really liked about uh, this season. I really liked the coda of this episode when when we see all basically all our main characters get on the plane and the piece of music that Michael Giacchino uses it gave me freaking goosebumps. It was so, so good. I almost started crying. How did you feel about that, Matt? Well, yeah, the music is great. Giacchino knows how to get a lot of emotion out of you by those music cues. And I thought that what was nice was we get two flashbacks about people boarding the plane before we get that great moment where we see everybody um, on the plane. Loved the the Hurley... <laughs> Her only flashback where the dude finally thinks his luck is changing because he gets on the plane um, after going through like the most crazy running, scooting through the airport sequence. And he's drenched in sweat and gives the stewardess a big hug. I love I love that because the dramatic irony of it is this is a moment where he thinks his luck is changing. And we know that he was always going to make this plane because his luck has not changed. So I thought that was great. And we get that scene again of Locke struggling as they say, hey, man, the thing that we usually use to get people onto the plane who are in a wheelchair is is not here. So, like, do you mind if we just carry you on? And it's kind of that this moment where he's like, yeah, but kind of hurts his dignity and makes him feel like people are are saying like there's so much that he can't do, which again reinforces everything that Locke has been going through this whole season. That moment that you mentioned where the Giacchino music is really emotional and we see everybody on the plane. Hurley gives the thumbs up to Walt as he's playing his game and everybody is on there 
in those calm, serene moments before their lives are about to go to freaking hell. And they don't know it, but we do. Which was really sweet and a nice kind of bookend to end the season to see everybody in those calm, happy moments that would be their like last calm, happy moments for a long time. The end of this episode, when Walt is basically taken on the raft by the others, was just wonderful. When I first saw this episode, I was like, wait a minute. They're going to get rescued this quick? If they get rescued, the show's over. I will just tell you what, what my grandmother uh, said when she saw this, this small raft be picked up on the little radar that Saeed made for Sawyer, Walt, and Jin on the raft. She was like, bullshit, this show's not over. Something is going <laughs> to happen here. Something is going to happen here. And I will admit, when I was watching the episode today, when Michael started screaming, Walt, in the middle of the ocean, as his son was being stolen from him, the only thing I could think about was you, my friend Matt, was you, Matt, because you love when Michael screams, Walt at the top of his lungs. So yeah, I uh I I really really loved basically this this giant exodus chunk uh that we got for the tail end of season 1 of Lost. Anything else? Well, Matt? I just that that is a great swerve when they think that they're being rescued and that moment of joy instantly turns into a moment of terror because yeah, these guys show up that we've never seen before. And I love when at first MC Ganey, who's so awesome and ended up being like a guy who shows up throughout Lost for a bit, is like, hey, guys, it's great to see you. Yeah, uh, we're going to need to take the boy. <laughs> and it's like, oh, shoot. As stuff goes sideways and you're like, what is happening? They're, they're kidnapping Walt because you know that they can't get off the island. But in that moment, you wonder like, Maybe something is going to go wrong, but we didn't. I didn't know that that's what it was going to be. So as it dawns on you that this is the boy the others were talking about, these must be the others. Um, and then they friggin' blow up the raft, leaving you know our guys just in the middle of the ocean. Um, and Michael screaming "Walt" as the episode ends was well, just like a wow. So so much stuff happened at the end of this where. You know, we finally have blown open the hatch and also the hopes and dreams of being rescued because of the raft are completely shattered. And we know that the others are around. They are real. And for some reason, they want Walt. So I thought that in terms of leaving the audience with enough questions to really make them start counting down the minutes till season two was great. And it pays off so many of those questions and storylines that started at the beginning of the season. So as a standalone season of television, Lost Season 1 is one of the best because so many great character moments, emotion, humor, mystery, payoff, more mystery. It stood out as being something new that we hadn't necessarily seen on TV before. The structure of present time and flashbacks that reveal stuff that's relevant to the characters in present time and the parallels between those two kind of changed narrative storytelling, serialized storytelling on TV in a big way where, you know, if you missed an episode of lost, you were screwed because so much happened um, every episode. Now 
in 2021. That's the norm with binging and streaming so much serialization and crossover happens. Um, but this was one of the ones that really shattered kind of the network TV mold in an amazing, great way. And I just, this season is one of my favorite of the series. Definitely a great season. Yeah, no, if I had to give this season a rating, I would give it an A minus partly because of like Matt already said, it was great storytelling. But the other part that I have is that uh, this show really, like I said, at the start of us reviewing Lost, this show was really that show that allowed me to get closer to the people that raised me. So, so, so many of my memories watching season one connect to personal memories that I have with my family that I will never, never forget. So with that being said, uh, I think that'll do it for this episode of Radio 815. Uh, Matt, if the good folks want to uh, find you online and chat with you about anything, uh, what would be the best place to find you at? The best place is on Twitter, at Matt Crandall. And if uh, you guys want to catch me, you can also find me on Twitter. I'm at CreekFanatic88. But uh, for my co-host, Matt Crandall, I am Marcel Nostroza. Uh, saying, for this week only, if you guys ever find yourself walking with wet dynamite, I simply suggest that you be careful, because if you're not careful, you just might go tick, tick, boom. All right, guys, see you uh, next week.